Welcome to Simple Theology, a podcast connecting theology to everyday life by examining various doctrines of the Christian faith. I'm Robert Kane. Are you, though? I mean... I am. Well, I am. What if you woke up tomorrow and someone said to you... It is so hard for you to just say your name. <laughs> wow. so hard. Everyone, everyone already knows my name. They, it, it says right on the description. I'm just saying, what if you woke up tomorrow and you're, you weren't, like... I mean, your life was still the way it was, but you found out, like, actually, legally, you had a completely different name. And somehow, it got changed early on in your life. You're now a guy named Gary Johnson. <laughs> wait, wait, was Gary it? Jo- wasn't he a... Johnston? Is there a T there? Johnston. Johnson. Wasn't he a presidential candidate wait, for several cycles ago? Gary Johnson? Oh, uh, I'm looking it up. I, I think, think so. so. What, what, wasn't he independent? Uh... Or maybe. That yeah, was back yeah, when yeah. Uh, Gary Johnson. Trump was running. Yeah, right. Twenty sixteen. Libertarian. Yep. Oh yeah. yeah. He he was the one where they said like, what do you, how do you feel about what's going on in the Middle East? They named an Aleppo. That kind of, Aleppo. And that's he's like, it. Uh, what, what, uh, what what's an Aleppo? What? Can you use it in a sentence, please? <laughs> <laughs> Can I get the origin? <laughs> that that pretty much killed his yeah. His he was run. Whatever um, shot he had, but. But here's Sorry. here's what I do know is that my name is not Gary Johnson and neither is yours. No, and if there are new no. listeners, they may want to know your name. Hey guys, my name is Robert Kane. And, it is uh, not. Uh, no, my name is Rick Romlick. Um Dude, you are right up on that mic. I you need to s- take a step back. My name is Rick Romlick. That's better. Yeah, nice. And uh, I co-host this uh, podcast called Simple Theology with uh, uh, Andrew Kane here. And... Um, we are just so glad you're here with us this evening. <laughs> no, but Rob, what's new with you, man? You got a lot happening last... Uh, I'm, I'm healthy. At least I think nah, I am. Rob was popping pills before we even got on the air today. I was. Some acid reflux pills. Rob, so we're, trying, Rob so I, when was I, the last I myself, time... Time out. When was the last time we recorded an episode in person? When we were in Naples? I mean, state uh, back in Ohio. Like, regular Ooh. whole... From the, like... We've made a pattern of being long distance, and I, I don't think it's good. I mean, it's not well, bad. Rick, here's what I know, is that not just last night, but also the night before, we stayed with you guys. Yeah, and I said, let's record, and you're like, ah, no. No, 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 no. <laughs> I said, let's, let's record. Let's not do it. And you were not ready. Okay, well, hold on. I just want to say a couple things. One. Yes. Um, I was preaching Sunday morning, and so I was preparing for Sunday. Um. Maybe you should prepare before the before Saturday night, or, Rick. Or I can prepare Saturday night because it's plenty of time. Um, that's my job. And then <laughs> I unplanned, but yet invited you to stay another night, Sunday night, which was great. But I did to yep. work early uh, this morning, so I went to bed at a good, a decent hour. Um, I don't know why you're hating on me. I really don't. I'm not hating on you. I'm just saying we had opportunities. Robert, you won't even give me the login to the to the uh, Instagram account. I don't want to hear it. For good reason. I don't trust you with it. Listeners, can you believe this guy? He wants he wants <laughs> he wants to sit with me and talk about theology, but he doesn't even trust me. That's right. Not as far as I can throw you. How far is that? Not very far. You've been eating a lot recently. <laughs> so I'm gaining a little weight. Okay. <laughs> I'm gaining a little weight. Close a little weight. 
All right. Well, this episode's quickly tanking. Um, yep. and that's probably because I'm doing most of the work. I already said my name's Rick Gromlick. And oh, Rick Gromlick. Are, good to have you. Well, uh, 10 minutes ago, I said my name as well. Um, fun story. Rob actually visited our church uh, Sunday, him and his family. And um, good, old, good old Dan Smith. Shout out to you, Dan. Um, yep. Dirty hipster Dan. He, he, wa- he sees Rob like coming in and he like Dan walks past me and says um, something like uh, oh pour over coffee guys here <laughs> no he's like he's like I so I go to this website called citizenschurchohio.com or citizensohio.com and this citizens church web page comes up super cool first thing I see is it preaching no is it praying no it's pour over coffee it's like, right. it's like this is sacrilegious I think <laughs> anyway, so here's it was thing. great is to that, have uh, you guys uh, with us. And uh, well, I gotta explain this because well, as, I was just, as a church plant, yeah. we don't have any pictures of us gathered. So put fake ones. And up. So and that's always good. Yeah, I was gonna say. So <laughs> if I put any pictures of people praying or people preaching, it's all gonna be people that I have no idea who they are. Yeah. And so I just decided to put some generic pictures of coffee. Yeah, I mean that's uh, 2020. You're a hipster. Those things go hand in hand. Oh, anyway, <laughs> so I'm gonna make a little transition here, Rob. It was great. To, That's right. Great to have you guys with us. Thank uh, you. Thank this, you. This yesterday at Proclamation Church, and um, it was especially great to have you guys as we uh, partook of the Lord's Supper, um, no, as we do as we do every uh, first Sunday of the month. That is our pattern. Um, so far, don't know if we will keep that pattern, but that's our pattern so far. What are you gonna do? You're gonna go quarterly, once every six months. No. Uh, You're just gonna take it out all together. Okay. Someone's a little angsty about this. What's it going to be, Rick? We we will not decrease. I can tell you that much. My man. Okay, so we are talking about the Lord's Supper. Mm. and Communion. Communion. And we've already done an episode on this, guy. So if you want to check out what we said back um, previously. Uh, man, I don't know what episode number it is. It However, was March it, of 2018. So just it's in March 2018, March 26, 2018. So you can go to our website and find that, or you can just keep scrolling back in whatever podcast listener you're using, and you'll eventually find it. Uh, so there you go. Yep. But we are now talking about what the confessions have to mm, say. Let us confess. And so we are revisiting, revisiting the topic of the Lord's Supper. And um, we have been going through these, we've been looking at the abstract of principles. Which was what eighteen sixty eight? Is that what that was? Eighteen fifty eight. Fifty eight, yeah. And then the New Hampshire Confession of Faith, mm-hmm. my personal favorite, um, of eighteen thirty three. Then the sixteen eighty nine London Baptist Confession and the sixteen forty seven Westminster Confession. And for those who have been following along with us, they know what I'm getting ready to say about the sixteen eighty nine and the Westminster that they are essentially quote unquote carbon, carbon copies. copies of themselves that yes great so the westminster was um put out about 30 so years ahead of the 1689 uh because the 1689 was actually drafted like i want to say in 1670 something but they couldn't actually publicly sign it until 1689 so that's when it was officially published but what the baptists did is they essentially said hey this this uh 1647 westminster Presbyterians did a really good job. However, we disagree on a few things, so we're going to take everything that we like, which is like 90% of it, and then we're just going to tweak the parts that we disagree with. 
And so that's what they did. And I think they made it better. So the when we go through the 1689 and the Westminster, there's going to be a lot of overlap. But to start us off, I'm going to go ahead and read the abstract of principles, what it says. And then we can go through the New Hampshire as well. But the New Hampshire, the... Um, New Hampshire. The New Hampshire. Thank you. The topic of baptism and the Lord's Supper are both in the same paragraph for the New Hampshire. So we've already talked about this paragraph or this uh, section, but we're going to reread it for the New Hampshire. But we'll start off with the abstract. And it says this. The Lord's Supper is an ordinance of Jesus Christ to be administered with the elements of bread and wine and to be observed by his churches till the end of the world. It is in no sense a sacrifice, but is designed to commemorate his death, to confirm the faith and other graces of Christians, and to be a bond, pledge, and renewal of their communion with him and of their church fellowship. Mm, it's heresy, bro. It says wine. It says it says alcohol, right there. It's it does say wine, and that's <sighs> oh, actually my a gosh. Good, good question to have. So, Rick, yeah, heresy. Does do the scriptures actually say wine? No, they say grape juice. Obviously, mm. I think they say mm. Welch's, preferably. <laughs> um, if not, if Welch's, then definitely an Aldi brand. Exactly. Uh, those are the two accepted I think ones. you just jump straight to the Aldi brand. Well, it depends on what part of the country you're in and how they interpret it with the Greek. Okay, but, what translation? Yeah, yeah, well, the Germans, uh, naturally, it's their store, so they think it's just Aldi. <laughs> they say they say beer. No, they just say Aldi brand because they own Aldi. So. <laughs> oh, okay, I see, I see. Anyway, yeah, so the, the, the argument always is, man, did Jesus partake of wine? And this argument has been going around. Um, actually— Is that an argument? Oh, yeah. Je- whether or not Jesus partook in, of wine? Well— the, the argument is, wh- yes, what kind of drink was it, right? Oh, okay, it wasn't really alcohol. It wasn't this. wasn't that. And this really hasn't been an, art- uh, um, an argument or an issue until probably the pro- prohibition in the really the 20th century in America. Like before that, I think people were pretty much on the same page. Like yeah. um, wine has been made the same way for a long period of time. Um, we're not going to get into all that anyway. Here it is in uh, the Abstract of Principles saying bread and wine. This is the way that, uh, to the best of our knowledge, just natural plain bread and wine. This is what Jesus did at the Last Supper. Boom. Yeah. Everyone need, yeah. everyone um, has to do it with wine, right? Because like you said, Rob, because you guys, Rob is a strict, strict adherent to the regulative principle, which is just a big fancy word of saying, like, let's get really, really legalistic about Sunday services. And so nope. because he's that, wrong. because he's That's that, he right. has to now serve uh, wine for communion. He has no other option but wine. Well, None. Well, That's what the scriptures say. That's what the confessions say. And <laughs> since Rob um, holds to the New Hampshire confession of faith, yep. he must do that. Yeah. Or face five. Well, how do you how do you like yeah. how do you like yourself now, Rob? Huh, man. Um, a lot actually because oh, prideful. What you just, okay, okay. What, so you, what you just did, so Rick. <laughs> so you just build yourself up. I'm proud of myself. Look at me. Yeah. Uh, yep. Robert, that's what I'm doing here. So Rick, I you just known it. you regular principal guys <laughs> are always like that. You showed me. 
two things there that need to be addressed. One, that you don't properly understand regular principle, and two, that the passages on the Lord's Supper, you're not remembering right, because none of them say wine. I'm trying to say it in the nicest way. Oh, they don't. Huh? None no. of them say wine. Nope. Yeah, they do. And nowhere in Scripture does it say that it has to be well, wine. If you, it if says, you read the original, the fruit of the vine. What else would it be, Robert? Come on. <coughs> Whatever. It's not grape juice. Why don't you use a? Could you use Welch's? Could you use no? So um, here's the thing. Like, I don't know. Like grape pop. No. So here's the thing. Um, the reason that we don't use something like red Gatorade or... Because it stains the carpet. Um, Everyone knows this. <laughs> exactly. Or um, clear Gatorade or um, Gatorade for that matter at all. Um, or I'm trying to think of some other drinks that some people might use instead. Never heard of- or tomato juice. I'm trying to think of red drinks in particular because that could be like still... People might say, oh, it still represents the blood. Do you remember not. when you were a kid, the, the drink that came in like a really thin plastic bottle, but it kind of looked like a like a, a glass, like Coke bottle? Yes. And you had to like twist the little the top. Cap off. Yeah. Love those as yes, a kid. Yes, but was They're that? nasty. I don't know. But as a kid, okay. they were the bomb. So they were. So we wouldn't we wouldn't use Kool-Aid as part of the Lord's Supper. That's cause the because the stigma surrounded around like, don't drink the Kool-Aid. No, because you don't want the Kool-Aid man to jump in and say, oh, yeah. <laughs> Is that it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to protect the building. No, so the reason that we use um, either wine or grape juice is because the scriptures say that it's part of the fruit of the vine. So Matthew twenty six twenty nine, Jesus says, um, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So, and you can also go to Luke 22, a parallel passage, which essentially says the same thing. But Jesus, as he's instituting the Lord's Supper, talks about um, this fruit of the vine. And so what we see is that Jesus is saying, hey, I'm not going to partake in this um, ordinance, in this uh, drink Mm -hmm. until the day I return. And so when we are taking, and, and I'm getting ahead of myself here, mm-hmm. um, but, when, but when we're taking the Lord's Supper, there is an eschatological point mm. to it where we are looking ahead. But before we get there, Whew. we're in a lot of places. Before we get there, yeah, exactly. We're jumping all over the place. Rob, see, this is what you do. So, regular principle, guys. Man, this is where they go. That's it. All over the we place. We go to the scriptures. All over the place. So, um, okay, Rick, where do we primarily go to when we are... Um, so on Sunday, for instance, yeah, yeah, you yeah. led the congregation mm-hmm. in the Lord's Supper. Yes. Where'd you go when you were leading them? What part we of stayed in, in the building in the main gathering space there. I, <laughs> I went to That's the good. front to kind of be up front so they can, everyone can hear me and see me yep. as I so, share. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's good. Yep. Yeah. So when you were up there yeah, 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 yeah. And, and you opened up the scriptures, mm. yes. what passage within the scriptures did you go well, to? Well, because we don't hold to the regular principle, we can use whatever we want. We don't need to use scriptures. That's right. <laughs> um, no, I, I, all joking aside, with the regular principle, I'm very close to being in the regular principle camp. Anyway, I just like—I think you're there. I just like to give Rob hard times about things. I've been that way. Um, 
As long as Rob and I have been friends. Yep, that's about right. Um, yeah, so we uh, go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we begin to read, uh, what's the verse number 11? No, that's chapter. Um, no, you're probably going to want to go to 23. Yeah. Yes, so, um, so I just can't remember those things off the top of my head but this is where uh paul begins to encourage the church in corinth and um says look this this is what the lord has given me and rob you look like you're about ready to read that oh i've got it in front of me i'm ready to go well well, rob i I was i was setting you up i was just gonna follow along take it away okay so here's what we see in verse 23 um Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and he says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. Mm-hmm. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Mm-hmm. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also, in the same way also, he took the cup after supper, and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There you go. Rick, Rob, help Robert. us understand what's going on here. Um, like the context of the, the chapter or like why he's... No, just the symbolism behind the Lord's Supper. Yeah, uh, well, I would... I mean, I think a couple things, as you had read through the abstract, it, it gives a, a good kind of layout. But we would simply say what you just read, and I think again, just with the, with the Lord's Supper, uh, communion, with baptism, we need to be careful that we don't say too much. But simply put, we believe that the bread is a symbolism of the body of Christ that was crucified, died for us. For our sin, and that the cup is uh, a representation of the blood, uh, which was purchased our atonement. And Scripture does not give us a uh, guidelines on how frequent we are to partake of these things, but it says just as often as you do, do them in remembrance of Christ and what He's done for us. So it's really important to remember uh, a couple different things. One. It's important to remember that these are symbols of what God has, what Jesus Christ has already done, and what is being currently being applied to uh, believers. So this isn't um, a, a magical thing. This doesn't save you. This doesn't make you right with the Lord. This doesn't make you any kind of a better person. It's simply that those who are already um, Christ followers remembering what Christ has done to adopt them, redeem them, and atone for them and bring them into the family, if that makes sense. It's also important to remember, um, and we won't get into all this, but if you keep reading that chapter 11, it talks about how to partake um, correctly. So this is something a lot, we talk about this in our last um, episode, and I'm actually, I think about that episode fairly often because I want to correct a couple things. I used to. Th- Whoa, really? Yeah, yep. Okay. You, you heard it here first. Um, oh, boy. In chapter 11, it gives us some, some guidelines on how to practice communion. One, do it in remembrance of the Lord. We need to make sure that we're believers. This is not for unbelievers. And this is also not for people who are habitually living in sin. Um, this is for those who are 
are repentant of their sin and walking with the Lord. Doesn't mean they're perfect. I mean, they could have had a massive blow up and failure that morning and repented of the Lord and uh, trust in that forgiveness from the Lord and partake in communion. That's fine. So here's the, the correction for me. I used to take the position that it was the church's, the elders' responsibility to um, be more diligent about kind of protecting or uh, addressing people who we knew were just in habitual sin and who are partaking of communion. Now my position is I think we need to clearly state before we partake um, who can partake of communion and who should not. And then if people are still doing that after we have clearly articulated what Scripture says, um, that's on them. doesn't mean we can't have a conversation with them. doesn't mean, but we can't begin to be guilty or, or of, of their disobedience, if that makes sense. Yeah. So what, what's, the, what's the term for that? Well, Rob has a term he likes to say is a theological term called fencing the table. It's, a, it's, it's a, definitely not my it's term. It's an agrarian term, um, but actually it's one Rob made up. Definitely didn't make it up. No, it's just, um, it's just a t- term people use these days to say, like, this is how we, <laughs> we clearly articulate who can partake or who should partake and who should not partake. And, you know, um, and we don't have those things very often in Christianity. I mean, it's baptism and the Lord's Supper are kind of the only things, and I mean, and some leadership positions. Scripture says, "Listen, the like um, the, these are the people who can partake and participate, and these are the ones who cannot." It's a it's a yeah. unique thing. Yeah, and I mean, we talked about baptism on the previous episode. That baptism being a public profession mm-hmm. of um, an individual as to what has happened inwardly within their hearts. So they've died to themselves and they've been raised with new life in Christ. Now, it's not just an individual um, um, metaphor. It's not just an individual ordinance, but it's also the church's ordinance to say in baptism, yes, we believe that this individual has, in fact, embraced the gospel as preached by this church, and their ev- and their life has shown evidence that they mm-hmm. have embraced it, and so therefore we as a congregation are choosing to baptize them. So it's an individual, and it's a church ordinance. Same thing with the Lord's Supper. So I've heard someone use the illustration that um, the as the family uh, gathers, mm-hmm. as the body of Christ gathers at the table, baptism is the seat at the table, mm-hmm. and then the Lord's Supper is served to the body. And so the uh, baptism, the rite of baptism, is something that the individual does prior to partaking in the Lord's Supper, because baptism is the one-time initial ordinance of publicly saying, I am a follower of Jesus, and the church agreeing. The Lord's Supper is the ongoing way in which an individual says, I am still a follower of Jesus. I identify with the broken body Mm -hmm. and the shed blood. I trust in Christ's body and his blood to cover all of my sins, and I'm now under the new covenant, which was instituted and inaugurated by his blood, and so me, as an individual, I'm proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. I'm saying I am still a follower of the Lord Jesus. So therefore, I am partaking in the Lord's Supper. Now, the church has the right or has the responsibility, as Rick said, to 
put up a metaphorical fence around that table to say, hey, look, these are the things in which qualify you to be able to partake in this meal. One, first and foremost, you have to be a follower of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And two, you have to be still faithfully following Jesus in that you are living in repentance. And so, Mm -hmm. as Rick said, you're not going to be perfect. However, you are living a life of repentance. So you are no longer at peace with your sin, but you're trying to defeat it, and you are trying to wage war against it. And so when you do fall, when you do sin, you do uh, what Scripture calls repentance, and that you confess it and you try to turn away from it. Now, um, as Rick said, the church is responsible for fencing the table, for saying those things, hey, this is for followers of Jesus, and this is for um, those who are not harboring sin. Now, with that, like we aren't going to have bodyguards up at the table uh, deciding who can partake and who can't. So I uh, just wanted to get that out there that the same way that we said that baptism is not only an individual but also a church, a corporate sign, it's the same thing with the Lord's Supper. And so the in 1 Corinthians 11, it talks about just as we who are um, one body, um, we just as... Um, Bread is, where is this? Where's this passage? I'm trying to do it from paraphrase, and I'm botching it. I don't know. I don't know where you're trying to go. Um, oh, for at the meal, each one eats his own supper. Da, 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 da. I use praise, Lord Jesus, me. This is my body. Um, can't remember where it is here. But anyway, um, but essentially, as the body is one, the loaf is one, and as the loaf is is broken. Christ's body is broken and the church partakes to mm-hmm. identify with the broken body. Mm-hmm. And so this is a it's this is an individual and it's a corporate ordinance. So that's why we don't recommend people just taking the Lord's Supper um, willy-nilly at their house or their small group or on a backpacking trip. It's something that should be done within the context of the local church, the gathering of the body of Christ. Controversial a little bit there, Rob. Uh, I like it. I like you like stir the pot I wish I could find that verse. Stir the pot. Where um, botched it. Yeah, man. You know what, Rob? Let's just wrap this up. I mean, the way after that one. I don't know where that piece went. But what I was saying is is there is – also, just a view that people just take communion whenever, wherever. It's very um, communal in that sense. I mean, we, if there's just a group of people who are hanging out and they're Christians, like, hey, let's part, let's do communion together this night, or let's do some worship and do communion, or you know, and I think there's some there's some unique cases for shut-ins, people who who cannot um, get to the the gathering and health reasons and stuff, and so I think we can make exceptions for that. But as a at least I, I would say ordinary and like like strong ordinary, not like yeah ordinary, but like the, the vast majority of the time it should be. You should be with the body that you're committed with, that you're covenanted with, partaking communion. So if you have yeah. the view like I have, and you're at some kind of community worship night or some other church for some kind of special thing outside of Sunday morning, and they're like, hey, we're gonna do communion tonight. You don't need to like throw a fuss, but like, you know, I can't remember the Lord's Supper or like what the Lord's done, I can't do it. 
But just as a practice, we, we do that with uh, the body that we are the local yeah. church we're part of. Yep. Now, Rick, Rob, there are Rob. some folks, and I know you're you're one of them. But maybe after a couple of years, you've had a change of heart. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Certainly, I have lots of changes gonna, of hearts. Certainly, not going to uh, throw you under the bus. Oh, wow, that's great. But I'm curious. This is great. Where do you stand with the idea of having communion at a wedding? Um. Well, we did it at our wedding. Uh, I'm thinking back like, yeah, we, so I think it's a, at the time I had never given it much thought. I I, I I actually thought it was like a beautiful thing. Oh, if I, now Rob, do you want to answer my question? You want me to answer my question? Yeah, you go ahead and answer it. You go ahead. You go ahead. Um, I don't know, Rob, what do you think? So I was just about to say, (laughs) (laughs) um, I don't have any thoughts. I'm kicking it to you. No. Yeah, so I, when, I, when you did I it and when other people have done it. When I did okay, it. Who, who's answering this? I am. You asked me to answer it. Okay, go. Stop it. Stop it. You're up. You're up. Uh, I need a walk-up song, like a batter. Um, no, I think it's a special thing in that it's unique because a, a couple is saying, hey, we want to remember Christ. When we are making a covenant together that is um, for the rest of our earthly lives, we are remembering the covenant we have with Christ that is for eternity. And that's special because it's unique, and people don't usually remember the ultimate covenant when they are entering into a covenant. However, um, I think if we were to go back and change that, we probably wouldn't do it. I don't lose any sleep over it, but it's one of those things like, yeah, it probably wasn't the best um, practice, you know, viewing communion how I view it now that it needs to be with the local body. Um, so yeah, I don't lose any sleep over it, but I definitely probably wouldn't do it again. Yeah. I don't think you should lose any sleep over it, but, um, I had just for years thought like, man, I wish Danielle and I would have done that. Cause we didn't give, I, th- I mean, we, dude, we knew I we wanted that, the gospel to be preached. I thought the sure same thing when I was at your wedding and I was just like, man, I wish they would have been more serious about Jesus and <laughs> partaken <Stop>. of communion. <laughs> yeah. But like years later I thought, man, I wish we would have done communion. And today I'm, I'm glad that we didn't, but. Um, I think there are plenty of people who um, have either done it or are thinking about doing it without thinking mm-hmm. all the way through um, some of the implications. And again, if you decide to do it, like I'm yeah. not going to be that kind of stickler, but I was just curious where you stood with that. That's where I, s- I stand right now, Rob. It could be cha- could well, change. Well, you're actually but sitting, but... It's me- okay. Metaphorically. Anyways. In my heart. Oh. In my okay. heart, I'm standing, I okay? I see, I see. Well, you guys, okay, a, so let's... a doorbell in the back or what the... Nope, there's a dog scratching with a collar. That is Neville making his appearance. Anyways, let's move on to yeah. Let's the New wrap Hampshire. this thing up. So thank you guys for listening. Um, yeah, good one. No. So the New Hampshire um, has a, a part here, and it says because, like I said, the baptism portion and the Lord's Supper portion are both under the same section. So um, the section that I want to pull out, or the Phrase Is there like a mer- emergency squad going by your house? Yes. Hold on, hold on. Yep, it sounds like it. It's either mine or yours. It could be from, from the hospital. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, but it says this. It says that the Lord's Supper, or no, that baptism, is prerequisite to the privileges of a church relation and to the Lord's Supper in which the members of the church, by the sacred use of bread and wine, are to commemorate together the dying love of Christ. And then it says, as you pointed out, uh, preceded always 
by solemn self-examination. So the portion that I wanted to get out there was um, get it out the, the fact that baptism being mm. a, a prerequisite not only to church membership but also to the Lord's Supper, mm-hmm. which I've already um, thrown out there. But the Lord's Supper is oftentimes called communion because uh, the reason we call it that is because it indicates two things. One, that we have communion with Christ, and that two, we have communion with the body of Christ. So baptism being that initial ordinance that displays that, and the Lord's Supper being the ongoing, um, we see the New Hampshire laying out explicitly uh, where it stands with regards to these two ordinances, which I appreciate, which is one of the reasons that we switched from the Lord's, or sorry, from... um, the abstract principles to the New Hampshire. There you go. One of the things that I find it it's interesting is that there are tremendous um, there's just a tremendous amount of views on baptism and the Lord's Supper, which there are definitely right ways to think about things and wrong ways to think about things. But the last the very last part about that it's, it says that we always have this solemn self-examination. And oftentimes, whether we are participating in this in the ordinances, we participate as a congregation in baptism by um, not just observing someone being baptized, but truly believing that as a church we are welcoming, welcoming them into fellowship and affirming their faith. And then obviously in communion we're partaking together. But by doing it with solemn self-examination, that is a, is a kind of a, a unique thing uh, because it can feel repetitive. And that's why some people don't do it very often, which I think is a shame. Um, but we need to have more solemn self-examination. Now, to Preaching l- gets repetitive. Yeah. It, and it, it's, Singing gets repetitive. Mm-hmm. Podcasts get repetitive. Yeah, they do. But that doesn't mean that you guys shouldn't tune in every week. <laughs> <laughs> Be faithful. I think we're only gonna do. I think we're only gonna preach once, once a quarter. Good luck with that, Rob. I mean, we'll sing. We'll once, sing once, once a month, probably. Um, if you haven't picked up, Rob's being uh, the word is satirical, I think, and um, uh, facetious. Yeah, that too. Um, but we we've definitely been around when people just do not partake of communion but like once or twice maybe three times a year because they don't want it to be to lose its uh, significance and its substance and its weight and you get what they're saying when you know but that's like everything in life if you if you do it somewhat often you're going to lose the significance of it i mean i um you know i'm going to get off this podcast and i'm going to go to sleep and i have the great pleasure of sharing a bed with my wife and waking up beside her. And most days I don't think about that, the blessing it is, but I don't just do it like once or twice a year because, you know, it's such a sacred thing or special thing. Anyway, maybe it's a poor analogy, but I want to jump into the London Baptist Confession. And I want to talk jump a little in. bit about the big old transubstantiation. All right. Yo. Transubstantiation is the Catholic doctrine that says that when we partake of... Uh, the bread and the wine, um, that the bread actually becomes the literal flesh of Jesus, and the wine becomes literal blood of Jesus that we then partake of. Um, and we believe that's a bunch of baloney for multiple reasons. But I'm going to read through this portion, uh, section 6 under the London Baptist Confession. It talks about that. It has some strong language. 
Oh boy, here we go. In a sense. That doctrine which maintains a change of the substance of bread and wine into the substance of Christ's body and blood, commonly called transubstantiation, by consecration of a priest or by any other way, is repugnant not to Scripture alone, but even to common sense and reason over with the nature of the ordinance and hath been and is the cause of manifold superstitions, yea, of gross idolatries. Mm, tell us how you really feel, London. Yeah, pulling no punches there. So mm. there, they understand that one, the Catholics, I mean, there's a lot to this that I don't even understand, but they believe communion has to be um, uh, administered by a priest and that he does this special thing with the bread and the wine that turns it into literal flesh and literal blood, which then means you're eating flesh or drinking blood, which is you know completely uh, wrong. We know Scripture talks about that as well. So there's a lot of misunderstanding around this because people— a, who are Catholics, don't fully understand just quite the heresy that's happening there. And I love how this points it out. It says, also, but just even to common sense and reason, like, this is ridiculous. Like, yeah. you know. Okay. You're, you look like you can jump in there. Jump in. You have something to say. Yeah, so so I, I agree with everything you're saying. However, I'm going to play devil's no, advocate here. Well, what about the Catholic who would say, okay, but Jesus even said himself, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you won't have any communion with me. You won't, you won't partake with me. Mm-hmm. And then uh, where he says, this is my flesh, this is my blood. What about that? Symbolism. So, so. I mean, it's a symbol. I I agree with you. Thank you. But is there like, you should. is there any other passage you would point to? Um, I'm sure there is. So like, I'm, I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of other symbolism passages where Jesus talks about, and he and he says, "I'm I'm the door, I am mm, yeah. the way." Yeah. Um, where he he qualifies himself as a thing to help us better understand what he's actually yeah. saying. Right. Yes. So he, we didn't he, see he was... any. I heard Mark Dever talk about this, and he said you didn't see any disciples begin gnawing on his forearm at that point and if he was literally trying to say you have to eat my flesh and right. drink my blood then chances are somebody would have tried yeah and so nobody did it's it's really important and again this is why context and any kind of passage is just critical um is you have to understand the the narrative what's going on and what's jesus saying nobody when jesus says listen unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood you have no part in me no one was like dang like the guy wants us to gobble him up, and I just can't do it. Peace out. And then turn to the disciples and say, what do you guys, you know, the disciples didn't say, well, Jesus, you look tasty, so we're going to go that route. Like, no, nobody, yeah. nobody responded that way. So that's just, a, I think it's a very weak argument. Um, well, and some, some may even say that they did respond that way because they said this is a, t- a difficult teaching. Like, this is really difficult to embrace. Now, if, but if Jesus I, I, was saying... Eat me. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's the thing. I think, said, well, that's difficult. <laughs> yeah, like I, I think I think Jesus. Um, I think part of the reason it was difficult was because of the way it came across without there being, um, without Jesus then clarifying 
by saying, no, "Hey, actually, I, eat I would me. say, I would say, people knew right away what he meant. Maybe they did, and that's why it was difficult. It wasn't difficult because people were like, "Dang, this guy wants us to eat him. That's hard. I'm out." And Peter's like, "Ah, oh, man, Jesus, you could have used better words." I, don't, I just think people knew right away what Jesus was saying. Like, unless you fully unite yourself with me and partake with the suffering that I will partake with, partake in, you know, and you have no part in me. Okay, so you think they understood that in that moment? I think just to some degree, yeah. I don't think anyone okay. thought, man, he's asking us to eat him. Let's get let's get out of here. Well, Neville's here. Mike definitely picked that up. I can't hear you, yeah, Mike. See, my ears I, are shot. <laughs> yeah, my ears are ringing. See, I've always read that passage and thought, yeah, they they definitely thought that he actually meant for them to eat him. And so that's why I don't people, think so. See, that's that's how I've read it. Not that everybody thought that, but some yeah. did. I mean, there um, might have been some, I but I think the, the majority yeah. of the people did um, did not. I, you know, I think that anyway. So, so yeah. I, I just gotta say, transubstantiation. We believe it's false. We believe that there are uh, plenty of passages that clearly teach that Jesus is um, uh, the Messiah. That he um, had also had a bodily resurrection um and because he had a bodily resurrection his his body literally is in heaven beside the father and he's not losing pieces of his body every time people are uh, taking yeah. communion so yeah and, that, and that's the thing i mean the uh, roman catholics they call it the sacrifice of the mass because they say every time that the mass is taken every time the lord's supper every time we partake in it it's christ being sacrificed again for sin mm-hmm and so if that is the case, then what Jesus said on the cross when he said it is finished was not in fact the case. If, if in fact it was finished, then there are no additional sacrifices that need to take place, whether, they're, um, whether they are, I just had to turn around here because Neville came back in, whether they are um, lamb, yeah. goats, or whatever, or if it's Jesus right. again. There, there's no necessary sacrifice that needs to take place again because it is finished. It has mm-hmm. been accomplished. Jesus has done the final sacrifice. So the sacrifice of the mass, the, in the way the Roman Catholics understand it, is offensive to the cross because it says that... Danielle. <laughs> Danielle's coming up behind my shoulder and waving into the camera, Rick. Yeah, she just wants to say hello. This... She's just polite, Robert. She has manners. Yeah, clearly. Messing up my train of thought. Um, but the uh, sacrifice mass, it's, it's offensive because it says, hey, actually it's not finished and there needs to be another sacrifice for sin. Yeah. And we do that with Jesus's blood and Jesus's flesh in communion every time we take that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, it's also when you begin to understand like these redundancies, like why would Jesus have to sacrifice again? Uh, why would Jesus like give of his flesh and blood on the cross and then have to do that uh, again you know why is it that in the old covenant we had to have this pre this great high priest and all these things and and then the curtain was torn um we now have the holy spirit but yet i can't partake unless a priest administers it or this holy person does this special thing i'm still separated from um remembering christ him and I. Yep. So uh, part of the Westminster talks about how in section four it says private masses or receiving this sacrament by a priest or any other 
um, alone, as likewise the denial of the cup to the people, worshiping the elements, the lifting them up or carrying them about for adoration, and the reserving them for any uh, pretended religious use are all contrary to the nature of this sacrament and to the institution of Christ. And that's exactly what they're addressing, is where people would use these the sacraments, especially the Lord's Supper, to manipulate people. Say, hey, you guys can't partake of this, or um, only the priest can administer it, or you have to do it alone, or we're going to lift it up, and we're going to celebrate it, we're going to worship it as something special, or we're going to carry it around like it's some kind of like idol or something. Um, all are contrary. They are, they are um, it's hypocrisy. The very thing that, that enraged Christ these people do saying they're worshiping Christ. And again, not, not yeah. everyone realizes they're doing that, but that's what they're doing. Yep, yep. And then last thing, uh, at least for me, unless you have something else to say, but is section two where in the London Baptist and in the Westminster where it says, in this ordinance, Christ is not offered up to his Father, nor any real sacrifice made at all for remission of sin of the quick or dead, but only a memorial of that one offering up of himself by himself upon the cross once for all in a spiritual oblation of all possible praise unto God for the same so that the popish sacrifice of the mass as they call it is most abominable injurious to Christ's own sacrifice the alone propitiation for all the sins of the elect mm. so again uh, the Presbyterians and the Baptists getting a little feisty and um essentially saying, hey, look, this idea where um, the Lord's Supper is another sacrifice for the remission of sin, this is abominable, and this is not, in fact, the mm-hmm. case. Yeah, it's it's a great thing to point out. And I, I'll yeah. just, I mean, t- to wrap up, I mean, we, again, we've done an episode on communion before we've, or the Lord's Supper we've done. Um, we did the a mailbag episode last fall. We talked about uh, Lutherans. We got into some of this. And I would just say that I think we need to carry or think about it with great um, seriousness and weight. We talk about communion and, and how churches lead through communion and what that time looks like. Um, because if done well, it truly does serve as a great time of remembrance. Because we can re- remember a lot of things. Jesus' love that God created the whole world in six days and he invited us into that and he desires a relationship we can we can remember all those things but it all hinges on the fact of us remembering that christ has paid the price for our sin the weight of that and then the ramifications of that that we are now in him adopted into his family uh, created by him for good works now that we are are uh, regenerated and so it's that the weight of that and if we can't if we're not thinking, if we're not remembering the right thing, then we're losing some of the weight of uh, the Lord's Supper. So remember those things well and and, and celebrate the weight of it. But also um, do not feel like it's something. I mean, as Hebrews 4 tells us, as we come to the, the, the throne of grace with boldness, so we as Christians, being obedient to the Scripture, should come with a boldness to... Uh, the table of communion and enjoy and feast together with the body and encouraging one another with what Christ has done for us. Yep. There you go. That's good. It's good stuff. So in closing y'all, you can um, interact with us on social media by going over to Facebook, 
slash simple theology. You can head over to Instagram, and we are on there at Simple Theology Pod, I believe that's what it is. Um, or you can use simple. Yeah, you, you, you guys would have so much more Instagram content if 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 I was Stop. running the show there. Probably would actually, but or you could use the uh, hashtag um, Simple Theology Pod. You can head over to the website simpletheology.org. You can. What else? You can leave us a voicemail, 614-233-1098. That's we it. Won't. So, yeah. Great. Is there anything else? Um, just appreciate you guys. Yeah. If you guys want to help us out, you can head over to audibletrial.com slash theology. Sign up for a free book. Free. F-R-E-E. That spells you free. You sign up for a book. Credit report. We get com, a baby. small kickback that helps us. So thank you Solid for doing that. on my TV. <laughs> Sorry. Dude, no. those things are old. No, I know. They're good, though. Yeah. Um, that, that company went out of business, though. Oh, that's too bad. They good jingles. Yeah. Mm, they did. They did. All right. Anything else, man? That's it, brother. All right. Peace out, y'all. Peace.